here's how we want to be seen. So we're able to kind of form and shape ourselves in our own image um, rather than looking at a mirror that actually gives us self-knowledge and actually can diagnose our problems and actually offer a solution. So even if we were able to separate these things, I think there's the evidence-based, if you will, there's evidence that shows that this is actually not a very helpful tool at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that plays out with the Christian experience too. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon, and I am a pastor at Emmaus Road Church, and I am joined this week with Ryan Chase, who's also a pastor at Emmaus, and Caleb Dernberger, our pastoral resident. And it is a joy, as always, to gather with you boys and talk it out, see what see what comes from this. So, And hopefully, you know, for our, the purpose of this podcast is really just to edify the people of Emmaus Road Church. Um, so hopefully it's... Out of our five listeners, hopefully one of them is edified. <laughs> we can, we'll see. But I like those percentages. Yes, yeah, very good percentage. It's a, it's a win. Today, the aim this week is to to look at again one more listener question. By the way, if, I plan to post this on Realm again. Just get in front of people. We're gonna post the link to that form if you have a question that you'd like us to to chat about eventually we will get there um this i think this listener posted this a couple months ago but here we are um so better late than never that's right we're doing our best so this questioner asks this question should christians be using the enneagram that's it that's it okay <laughs> and, and sh- sh- this <clears throat> this listener goes on and maybe in addition to the enneagram maybe personality tests in general, and, and how should we view those? Are they helpful tools or not? Can they be unhelpful? So, you know, when I, when I read that, I thought, oh, oh, this that was a hot thing a, a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was in college, everybody had to take the Myers-Briggs. Um, you know, strengths and weaknesses was a big thing. Personality tests were a big thing. Um, and probably most recently, probably the most recent one would be this this Enneagram. So that's our aim is to tackle that today and, you know, get our heads around it as Christians. How are we to, to view that as Christians? How are we to use it and so forth? So uh, maybe before we start, uh, Ryan, as the resident biblical counselor among us um, and the expert on all things, maybe you can give us a little bit of a rundown of what is the Enneagram, maybe a little bit of its history. Because I think when people hear the Enneagram test or the, the Enneagram uh, form, they, they might think they might think they know what it means uh, or at least have a functioning idea of what it is, but maybe haven't thought about where did it come from, what's its history, what's it rooted in, uh, and so forth. So anything you can give us to that end. Yeah, the word Enneagram comes from two Greek words. Ennea is the Greek word for nine, mm-hmm. gram, gramma to write or draw. So it's a nine-pointed symbol. That's what it 
means. Yeah. Uh, now, throughout history, there have been various nine-pointed symbols found around the world, but the, the current version that people have in mind and you see on the cover of Enneagram books and whatever, that came to the Western world through a mystic named G.I. Kurdjieff. I don't know if I'm saying his name Can you right. spell that? Could you yeah. spell that for uh, us? That'd be great. G-U-R-D-J-I-E. <laughs> FF. Okay, great. Got that? Oh, yeah. No, that's... <laughs> I think you pronounced it right. Yeah, so yeah, okay. the early 1900s, he brought this over. He claimed to have um, learned it in the Middle East. And as a mystic, you know, he, he is claiming to have special access to divine knowledge and even direct communication with the divine. Yeah. Um, so access to some knowledge not available to anyone else, kind of this exclusive corner on this, this information. He did not use that symbol as a personality test, but more broadly as just, he claimed this was like a key to understanding everything. Mm. So his mystical knowledge is connected to this nine-point symbol. He began to teach that to others. Well, it kind of made the leap into the personality world through a couple of psychiatrists in the 60s and 70s who had learned this and then kind of mapped their nine personality types over the symbol. So then you've got um, you know, a, a, sim a symbolic representation of these nine points, and then you can kind of visibly represent these nine personalities uh, where they're located on that as a, a map. They're mapping those types onto this symbol. They started to teach uh, that content to a bunch of Jesuit priests, Catholic priests, and a couple of those are the ones who really popularized this in kind of what you call maybe the, the Christian world. It's the way mm -hmm. that it made, you know, how did something from the Middle East originally through this mystic make its way into Christian circles today? W one of those priests was a guy named Richard Rohr who wrote about the Enneagram, and uh, he ended up after he wrote his first book, on, I forget the title of that book, but all about self-discovery, he, he retitled that book um, and called it The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. Hmm. And then a couple people who learned under him, they wrote subsequent books on the Enneagram that have really taken off, like you said, within Christian circles. A lot of churches uh, have used and, and taught this stuff. Those authors credit Richard Rohr as the theologian of the Enneagram. Um, and, and I think that's important because Richard Rohr is very open about his views that we would recognize. You know, we've been walking through the statement of faith, talking about the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ, the mm -hmm. doctrine of man. Uh, Rohr's views don't fit at all in what we would recognize as biblical theology, the teaching right. of scripture. Two, two things in particular. Rohr calls himself a panentheist, um, not pantheist. Pantheism is God is everything. Everything is God. Panentheism, Rohr teaches and claims, God is in everything. Mm -hmm. And so Rohr says, the first incarnation was when God created the world, and God incarnated himself in everything. Yeah. He is literally in you know this table, in your sandwich. He is in the trees and the moon. He's he put himself into everything. So everything has a divine nature already. Hmm. Well, that has implications for your worldview. Nothing needs to be redeemed. Nothing mm -hmm. has fallen. Everything is already mm -hmm. divine because God is has incarnated himself in the very stuff of the universe. Then it really is just a process of not reconciliation or forgiveness, but self-discovery. Right. I just need to awaken the divine within myself. Yes. And then that's how you I... You already have the divine right. nature, the, the Christ spirit in you. Right. So, Which is scary because of the term he uses, which we love is in Christ. Yeah. He yeah. uses that term to describe that universal salvation, that creation's already divine, which 
that's alarming. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> we, lo- I mean, first of all, it belittles, it belittles the, the meaning for what the Bible teaches and what we enjoy about yeah. what well, Christ is. Well, I think too, it's, I think it's important to note too, that that's not just some obscure, you know, we just disagree that I think that we would say that falls outside of orthodoxy Oh yeah, outside of, you know, the, it's not the difference between Baptist and Presbyterians or Baptist and Methodist. It's a difference between Christian and non-Christian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he is using common language and this is where these are the kinds of false teachings that you you have to especially be on guard against because mm. it's one thing if it's you know buddhism or hinduism and you can just tell well, they're they're talking about something totally different right. when somebody comes along and they're using words like christ god um you know, divine nature you, you go i i recognize that that sounds familiar sounds mm-hmm. like he's talking about the same thing well when you realize the christ he's talking about he's not talking about jesus of nazareth you know, to Roar, that incarnation is second and subsequent to the first incarnation of God in everything. Um, so we just did, you know, recently episodes on the person and the work of Christ. We're talking about the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was born of the Virgin Mary. God came and lived among us to live a perfect life, die for our sins, raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Roar wants to say, no, no, Christ is everything and in everything already. Right. Um, and so it's, it's very different. Which, you know, if, if we have, if we understand our Bibles, we know that this is not a new thing. Um, this is not just some new shape of that. It, Paul's, Paul addressed a very similar understanding in the book of Colossians. The, the, the letter to the church in Colossae is Paul addressing this type of Gnosticism that's kind of seeped into right. the church it, because it's so easily... You can be easily deceived. It's attractive to it's, people. It's attractive. It, oh, that makes sense. So I could see that. And it, when, it, when it becomes also accepted by the cultural world around you, then all of a sudden the cultural pressures eases and we're not, we're not as weird as, that, as we thought. And so Paul, in his letters to the Colossians, that's his purpose, is to address that heresy. Yeah. So that's why that opening, that famous Christ hymn in Colossians 1 is fronted at the very beginning of the letter and is just majestic. It's not just Paul riffing because he just loves it. He's 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 laying that out to describe who this Christ actually is. And then later in chapter 2, verse 8, he then finally makes the claim, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then he goes on to describe who Christ actually is, not as this panentheism that's right. pervading. So this is, just to make a point, this is not a not novel thing. Right. It's just mm-hmm. been repackaged and, and delivered to you now yep. in something like the Enneagram. And, and isn't it amazing that in Scripture we have, through God's inspired word, all the resources we need to recognize the new yes. presentations of those false teachings well today. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, what a gift. So... So that's a very brief history, and yeah. the, you know, there's much more there. There's more trails to go down. Exactly. But I think for our purposes, Ryan, okay, uh, Christians might hear that and even just hear our discussion and might say something like, well, well, I don't believe that. Yeah. I and didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. And I, you know, I, but yet I still find personality tests and the Enneagram to be helpful. To, to, I find them effective. Um, and I think that's probably where we want to go next. Um, and I guess the question is, can we separate the theology, the, the history, the, the, the roots, if you will, the, the, the trajectory from its use? Are we able to do that? Um, so I guess 
throw that out there, can we? Yeah, I, I think really important questions for us to always be considering um, when we're looking at stuff like this. We're dealing with human beings mm. and the human condition when we're talking about personality types. Um, so we're in the realm of anthropology. What is man? Mm. And what is our condition? What is our problem? What is the solution to our problem? Yes. So these are big worldview questions. They're not yeah. neutral things that you can just kind of deal with in a vacuum and say, well, I, I take these answers to that, and that has nothing to do with anybody else's beliefs or theology. Or No, mm -hmm. your theology is going to inform how you view man and our condition and our problem and the remedy to it. So, you know, broadly speaking, we lay out the gospel in terms of creation, fall, redemption, restoration or God, man, Christ. Mm. Um, so somebody's theology then is going to influence how they answer those questions. In the realm of personality, typology, and psychology, um, yeah, you're also dealing with what is the, what's the solution? So you're trying to describe people, what mm -hmm. they're like, but along with that comes assumptions about how should things be? Yes. How, what is the way things are and how should things be? And those, again, are, are worldview questions. So you, you can't approach this uh, from a theologically neutral position. That, that's right. just impossible, which is why, as Christians, it's important to kind of be aware of what are the theological commitments and assumptions that are informing these people that I'm listening to as they answer these things? And, and does that line up with what the Bible says? Because if not, things might sound good at first, but there, there is a trajectory mm -hmm. to that. It's, it's mm -hmm. going to be going somewhere down the road. And, and before you board that train, you kind of want to know where it's going. Yeah. I've often said to my students, like ideas are not like highways or roads that you can just turn off and go a different direction. However you want. They're more like trains. They, they, when you get on a train, you are going to that next stop, <laughs> whether the only place you can't just turn around and go a different direction. You can't go 20 feet, see how you feel, and then turn. Right. It will take you to that next station. Um, and and are you willing to go there? Um, because that's what ideas are like. Worldviews are like trains. They take you to some place. Yep. And even if we were able to separate the theology from its effectiveness, and just purely, let's just say for the sake of your argument, you're able to enter in and just make it a neutral ground and say, all right, let's separate it, and let's just look at its effectiveness. Um, there have been studies done. There was one study that was uh, done 100, almost 150 PhD-level clinicians with uh, collectively or each over about 26 years of experience did a test to determine out of these the array of personality tests which ones are most effective and least effective. Um, and they did 36 different assessments of all these different tests. And the results of this study found, this is back in 2015, that after the first round, the Enneagram ranked as the second most discredited assessment tool out of all 36. After the second round, it tied for last. And this is, reminder, this is peer-reviewed study, a psychological journal. It ranked the Enneagram tied for dead last out of 36 assessments. So of the available personality tests and systems, this is not a good who know what they're doing. <laughs> right. People would say this is the least effective assessment tool. And then this clinician or these, you know, they began to ask, well, why is it not that helpful? Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure some people are like, well, I find it helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and th the main reason why these clinicians what they put their finger on is that it's just, it's something, and this is true, I think, of all personality tests, it's something that's not repeatable because it really is just a self-assessment. Um, in, in part, whenever we do these self-assessments, we, we often like to view things the way we want them, mm -hmm. the way we want to be viewed rather than 
the way we actually are. Mm. And so these tests, in a lot of ways, are serving as a mirror. But because they don't actually cut to the marrow of us, like something we'll talk about soon, uh, it we're able to kind of manipulate it and say, no, well, this is actually how I want to be presented as. Here, here's how I want to be per- perceived. Mm. And so whether we are conscious of that, I, I, don't, I don't think very many people are like consciously thinking, oh, I'm going to shift my numbers here because I really want to be an eight. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more of just, we. here's how we want to be seen. So we're able to kind of form and shape ourselves in our own image um, rather than looking at a mirror that actually gives us self-knowledge and, and actually can diagnose our problems and actually offer a solution. Yeah. So even if we were able to separate these things, I think there's the evidence-based, if you will, there's evidence that shows that this is actually not a very helpful tool at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays out with the Christian experience too. Yeah, yeah. And I, that probably brings us into, you know, more broadly, just as Christians, how should we think about personality typologies, yeah. personality tests? There are a lot of tools out there. Uh, it can be kind of a fun experience when right. you, you take one and you, you read some description and you're like, that, that sounds that like me. True. That rings yeah. true. I, I resonate with that. That. Yeah. How did they know me without having ever met me? It, it, I think it gives also common language, like an actual place for us to... And, and actually, I would say the, the Enneagram has found its most effectiveness in in the sense where it's used as like communication styles. Like how, how do people communicate back and forth? Sure. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of times these are being used in like marriage counseling or in like workplace counseling. Like how can we talk to one another in a, in a way that's efficient and effective and, and so forth. So in that way, you can read it and be like, okay, yeah, we're acknowledging that there's differences and acknowledging that we're not all the same. Yeah. So I yeah. think there's, I think that's where it finds its, its most resonance is in communication and how I relate to other people. Yeah. Kind of like any, anything in language when you can just use shorthand to communicate a lot, yeah. that is a, a powerful tool. And so when you can just describe yourself with a number and somebody else who knows the system knows right. immediately, oh, I, I know what you're referring to. It, it gives a sense of, I now know you, or at mm. least know a lot about you based on that. So it, it, it facilitates that kind of communication and it gives a sense then of uh, relationship or mutual knowledge. We understand each other, mm. which, which seems to be helpful. Um, yeah, when I think about personality, types and, and assessments and tools, um, it, one, we can just recognize people are different yeah. and, and it doesn't, you know, that's not like a profound statement. <laughs> you, you recognize, uh, within your own family, you can think how different people are. How, that's amazing. You know, kids who grew up in the same home, have the same parents, they just come out very different, very different personalities. Mm-hmm. So we recognize there's a truth there that we are not all the same. Um, and then you find that while we're each unique, there are certain commonalities that we have Hmm. with other people. And so you can start to describe some of those common tendencies and whatever. That's absolutely true. Um, The very opening line of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, the, the very first line he begins, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And then he goes on to say, it's kind of hard to know which of those comes first mm. because in order to know God, we have to know something about ourselves and in order to know ourselves, we have to know who God is, but he's just recognizing the, the, this is foundational to know yeah. God and to know ourselves. And I think that's why even for non-Christians, people just, they want to know and understand themselves better. Mm. So I, I think th- that's the, 
um, to put, put it in the best light, why we tend to be so interested in personality type stuff. Cause we want to understand ourselves. We want to understand our families. We want to understand workplace environment. Why is it that I get along with this coworker yeah. and cannot stand this coworker? <laughs> and, uh, you know, just relationships are messy anywhere. You have people bumping into other people. It, it gets complicated pretty quick and trying to under, understand ourselves what makes me tick and, and why am I motivated by these things? And, um, you know, that, that's a, an understandable and a legitimate desire. Yeah. We, we, mm-hmm. we do need to mm-hmm. know ourselves. So that, those are some of the positive uses, but I think there are also some dangers involved, um, in personality types. And, uh, you know, some of those are, there is a tendency to use personality types as an excuse this is just the way that I am Mm -hmm. Um, rather than taking responsibility for ourselves or calling things what God calls them. If God calls it sin, calling it sin, it's way more comfortable to call things weaknesses or personality tendencies. Mm. And then to expect everybody else to just understand, well, this is my type. This is my weakness. Deal with it rather than actually maybe if God calls it sin, the will of God might be for me to experience change and right. mm-hmm. transformation there. I think also, you know, take, let's take the Enneagram. If, you know, part of that system is which numbers work well together, which numbers you're going to find conflict. And if you're defined by your number and then you define somebody else by your number, as you were saying earlier about having this like shorthand for with that, we can just click and upload all these traits that I should know about you off the front. One, it it can put myself in a box and I can also put others in a box that then like, well, we're just never going to get along mm-hmm. or we're always going to get along. And that's just not true of the human experience <laughs> of right. no, there will become conflict in any situation, but also if you're a number that I don't get along with and I'm a number, you know, if we're, if that's how it is and we just stop there, it doesn't actually give us any form to, to live in harmony with one another. Like right. reconcili- the ministry of reconciliation that we've been given, as Paul describes in the, in the letter of the Corinthians, we're not, able to have, we're not able to do that because we've just said, well, you're that, I'm here. And because we don't define each other or ourselves in moral terms, but rather in like strengths and weaknesses, and this is just how I am, we're not actually able to do anything with that. You can't take strengths and weaknesses to the cross we take our sin to the cross and it's in there that mm. jesus nails that sin. he doesn't he didn't nail my tendencies to the cross he nailed my sin to the cross <laughs> and conquered it and so that's the beauty of reconciliation yeah. if we look at our like i think of this could also relate to parenting if i just look at my kids and just say well henry's just kind of like that <laughs> or yeah. adeline just that's just how she you know you're just gonna have to accept that and then how they deal with one another, they're fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. What am I to do? Mm-hmm. I, if there is no reconciliation, there is no forgiveness, there's no repentance, there is no sin. It's just learning to get along, but that's just not possible. So I think defining what's what's critical is in any situation, we have to diagnose the problem correctly in order to diagnose and the prescription correctly. Right. So if we get the problem wrong of the, the problem of, of our problem, mm-hmm. of our sin, if we get that wrong, we're going to get what Jesus came to do yeah, wrong. And then right. all of a sudden he becomes this just example for us, the personality that we need to just model mm-hmm. rather than the actual savior, savior who died yeah. for our sins. Yeah. And then, then conflict is not resolved through repentance and forgiveness, but just like you were saying earlier, Ryan, before mm-hmm. we turn the mics on, you just need to understand I, me better. Right. It's, it's self 
actualization and self-realization. And if you don't, if we're fighting, it's just because you don't understand me and you need to get to know me better and then it'll all make sense. And self-expression, you know, the personality type oftentimes for people, it it feels kind of like this permission license to just, you know, be your true self. How often do we hear that in the culture that we live in today? We just value self-expression over everything. Be true to yourself. So personality assessment kind of feels like this permission. That's who you are. Just flaunt that, put that out there, and everybody else has to deal with it. Rather than thinking in biblical categories, this is, you know, I I think... uh, personality typologies tend to be missing key worldview categories in the Christian faith, like sin, like we've been talking about, calling things what God calls sin. And, and the flip side of that, virtue, like what are the, the what's the fruit of the spirit, the virtues of, of godliness that God wants us to grow in and put on that rather than just saying, well, I'm not that way, that's not my personality, realizing actually God might call me to grow into that. Maybe I need to put that on. And it might be harder for me than for somebody else, um, but not using that as an excuse. Um, categories of you know, salvation, sanctification, yeah. progress and change, realizing that through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, God actually sanctifies us and changes us. Personality types tend to leave out any category for that. You don't need to change. You just need to be true to who you are. Yeah. Um, so those are the categories we, we need to think in as Christians. Yeah, it reminds me of we've done we've talked about this on the podcast before of Truman's book Strange New World, where he talks about the modern self, and, and he says the modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings, or we could say your, our own personalities, and sees authenticity as defined as the ability to give social expression to that. So this is who I am, and I I, I should have the ability if I'm if I'm told to change, you're asking me to change that which makes me an unauthentic person. Mm-hmm. The modern self also assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm that behavior. Such a self is defined by what is called expressive individualism. So this is just another form of expressive individualism. In short, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. And I think what the Enneagram and what these personality tests do, we're able to, remember, self-assess. We go and just click what we would, how we want ourselves to respond in certain situations in order to produce a, oh, this is giving license for me to now express myself as I truly am. This is my authentic self. And now the assumption is the rest of the world just needs to get on board or you, or you don't understand me or you're asking me to live, you know, against who I am. Mm-hmm. And the, the, so I guess, is there a better way, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If, if the Enneagram is a tool, if all these things are tools, is there a better way for us as Christians? Does there better, is there better language? Is there a better process we can up to appeal to? Well, and as Christians that like you were just mentioning a second ago, Ryan, it, 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 uh, there's a different pursuit now as Christians and it's not this unfulfilled self-discovery. Um, as Christians, we're not floating. We're actually moving the Bible. Mm talks about that again and again in the New Testament and um, calls it the pursuit of godliness. You know, the Christian life's the form life. And Paul talks in, you know, Romans 8 is one of those spots where it says, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there's, we are on this trajectory to be more like Christ, not to be more like that true self that we would like to be on. And, um, yeah, and and that, that pursuit really, 
pursuit that God is at work in every believer doing by his spirit is, is something that changes even how we relate to others then too. It doesn't belittle sin and it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't give us a different prescription for how to love others. Cause I think the Enneagram promotes self and says, you need to learn how to love yourself first before you're able to love others. I think it kind of cut. <laughs> and, um, the Bible is pretty clear. We don't need any help loving ourselves mm-hmm. more. Um, the way we learn to love others is by actually dying to self and loving God most. And that is how we love others. And so I think that trajectory that again, speaking to, as Christians, um, we are, yeah, we're not just this floating whatever, and we're, we're here to figure it out now. Um, God's at work. He has started something that he will complete. And that pursuit really dictates how, how we not only think about ourselves and God, but one another. So, yeah. And what we have in scripture is everything that we need, you know, the, the convictions that we have about God's word, that it's authoritative, it's clear, it's sufficient, it's necessary. God's word is what we need for that process of understanding ourselves. So James talks about God's word like a mirror, mm-hmm. says when you look in God's word, you are looking in a mirror. And if you hear the word, but don't do it, you're like somebody who looks in the mirror, sees that you've got you know something stuck in your teeth, and then you don't do anything. You just go on, on right. your way. So using God's word like a mirror to, to really know yourself, that's the best way. You, you read scripture and you let... God's word convict you of sin uh, and expose areas of weakness and reveal to you God's agenda for your growth and progress and, and sanctification to lay out for you what that direction is, Caleb, like you're saying. there, there is, We're not left on our own. We're not left just guessing, but God's word informs for us um, what true godliness is, what virtue we should aspire to. So the grace of God that saves us, Titus 2 says, is the grace that trains us mm. to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Um, so I, I think that's really the remedy is looking to Christ yes. as our Savior, looking to God's Word as our authority yeah. and source of revelation. And looking to Christ, not just to, to help us be better people, but looking to Christ as the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith, the one right. who actually bore our sins. And when we and we call them sins, they are sins against God, against Him. The very one who saves us is the one that we've sinned against, and mm-hmm. He took those sins and nailed them to the cross, and in His body raised to life. Now the ability for us to put off the old man and put on the new yeah. by the power of His Spirit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would just say, you know, I think of how um, I mentioned this earlier. Just we 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 do have different propensities in different yeah. directions. Um, so not everybody is dealing with the sin of anger to the same degree or in the same way. Mm-hmm. Just like not everybody struggles as much with anxiety or depression or fear of man or cowardice or dishonesty or whatever it is. Right. And, and you can realize like, oh, all these people are a lot like me because we all struggle with this. Right. Um, but just the fact that we struggle in different ways... Um, we still have Christ is the answer to all of that, and it's just amazing. Every individual Christian can sit down and read the Bible, and it will be a mirror for you. You will be convicted of your sin, and God can be at work in somebody else dealing with their sin, which might be different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it probably is. So, it just the way that God works then to produce that individual sanctification is um, 
there's just so much hope. I, th- I think that's one of yeah. the biggest things that um, rather than being put in a box, this is the way I am, I'll never change. Um, God's word holds out this hope that change is possible and God is sanctifying all of us to make us more like Christ. Exactly. And, and the hope that in gospel community, the main commonality we have with everybody in our gospel communities is we are sinners. We, we have the same problem. It, it manifests in different ways, but we have a commonality as, as sinful, broken people living in a sinful, broken world. But the common, just like we have a common problem, our solution is the same. Yeah. It's Christ and, and Him crucified. And uh, as, as people of Christ, uh, people who are in Christ in the biblical sense, our aim now is to develop the type of community through gospel fluency to be able to identify sin as sin, name it as sin. So do we have a common language? Yes, we have God's word. And he has revealed to us and the ability to name that which is sinful and able to now not just call it that and, hey, you need to stop that, but rather there is an actual way to repent of that, mm-hmm. to receive forgiveness and to change. There is change is possible for the Christian and for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the solution is Christ it, and, right. it's, and it's him alone. So a lot more t- could be said here. A lot more should be said probably. And hopefully this will spark some conversations, um, some gospel conversations um, to see Christ and him crucified as more glorious than anything else. So That's right. uh, thanks guys for your thoughts and mm-hmm. until next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.